I'm going to talk about faith today. Um, before I get started, I just want to say, um, if I say something really wise or smart in the middle of this, uh, it's probably not original me. It's probably a quote of a really smart guy like Bill Jackson or Alexander Venter or John Wimber, Jesus, Solomon, those guys. Um, so, and I'm, I may not credit all those quotes, so just apologize in advance for that. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about a, a living faith. Um, first, I just want to pray real fast. Father, I just ask that you would uh, bless this time and open our hearts to step out for you and do the scary things. In your name, amen. So what we do with our faith matters. Um, here's some things that matter. This isn't an all-inclusive list, but these are things that matter. What or who you put your faith in, that matters. What you do about it, that also matters. And then how you see the world around you matters, and what you do about that matters. Um, what we do with our faith today can affect the condition of our faith tomorrow. Our faith is meant to be a living, breathing thing. It's not just a, it's not just a one-off, oh, I've got faith in God, and then that's where it sits. You know, it's, it's meant to grow. Um, as far as the first bullet, I'm going to assume today that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tackle that. Um, if you want, we can tackle that in private. We can tackle that during ministry time. Uh, but I'm assuming today that we all, uh, to some degree or another, believe in Jesus. Um, what we're really going to hit on is that second bullet, what we do about our faith. Uh, I know this may seem like a departure from the whole Mystically Wired series, but I think it's the next logical step because we are mystically wired. We are wired to understand God's revealed word we're wired to be able to communicate with God, um, him to us and us to him. And when we, when we get some kind of communication, when we, when we get his scripture, when we get his word in us, it's our faith that's going to lead us to act on it. It's, um, and, and that's what we're called to do. So um, we're going we're gonna to talk about, you know, going the next step from hearing God to doing what God wants and being doers of the word. It's, there's an idea among, I think, a lot of Christians today that your behavior can be divorced from your belief, and that's okay. But that's not anywhere in the gospel. That's, that, that concept is a, is a foreign idea to what's in the Bible. Uh, and I think we preach that a lot here. That's not new to us here. If you've been coming here any, any amount of time, then you get that, or you've heard that. We talk about risk. We talk about doing the stuff. All of that is growing your faith. And go to the next slide. So faith is a gift from God. You don't get to take credit for it. You don't get to take pride in it. You don't get to brag about it. It didn't come from you. Um, it's a gift from God. And we'll, real quick, Ephesians 2.8, 
For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves is the gift of God. So, see, there's my proof. It's a gift from God. Um, Faith is the vehicle of your salvation, so that makes it critically important. The condition of your faith is critically important because it is the vehicle of your salvation. I kind of think of grace as the road and faith as the car, you know. Grace is the way you get there. There is a way to, there is a way to get to God, and faith is how you get there. Um, even at the point of salvation we see this model of doing at the point of salvation we were quickened in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we realized there was something wrong we had some type of communication from God to us some type of message that said you know what I need a savior but if we leave it there we're still messed up right if we just leave it at the message, then we're still in our sin. We're still broken. We had, to do some, we had to take some kind of action, whether you said a prayer in private, whether you came up to an altar call in a church. Um, whatever you did, you took some type of action to, to seal the deal with Christ. Um, so so that's, that model needs to continue as you grow in, in Christ. That model needs to continue of revelation and action. And I believe that uh, God describes this model really well in the a parable we're about to read. Um, this, this is what the message is going to be focused on, is the parable of uh, the bags of gold, the NIV version calls it, or a lot of us um, here know the parable of the talents. It was called a talent of gold. That was a, a measure. So we're going to read through this real fast, and we're going to see what we can learn from it. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So far, we've got two types of responses to being entrusted with something from the master. We've got go and invest, and we've got neglect. And we're going to see how that plays out through the rest of the story. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then, you know, the same thing happens with the man, to the man with two bags of gold. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, you would have received it back with interest. Now here's the scary part. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will receive an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, I don't know about you, but that scares me. Because, I mean, I know some, at some points in this, in this talk I might be telling it like it is and it might sound harsh, but I'm going to tell you I've got fingers pointing back at me today, okay? This is, this is just as much for me as it is for anybody else. Um, I think we're all still learning to some degree to invest our actions in our faith and to, and to act on our faith. And the end of that parable doesn't seem fair. You know, take what this guy had and give it to the other guy. I'm like, why? why? Why did Jesus do that? And we'll talk about that more, but long story short, why should Jesus leave it with him if he's not getting anything out of it? So as much as anything else, this parable is a lesson on faith. We might be able to get... Um, Get some other lessons out of that parable. I'm not saying that it's only about faith, but I think as much as anything else, it is about faith. So here's a summary of what just happened. Can you go back? So the master entrusted servants with his wealth. It's a gift from God. Some faithful servants invest his wealth, and it grows. And there's one fearful servant, and he neglects his wealth, and it sits. And eventually, the fearful servant has to face what he's done. He has to face the consequences of letting what God has entrusted with him sit in the dirt. There's a lot we can learn from that. God has called us to be the first kind of servant, the servant with the faith that grows, the servant with an, a desire, a need, and, and the actions to take what God has given them and invest it so that it multiplies. It multiplies within the servant. You know, your faith multiplies within you, and it multiplies outside of you. It's an inward-outward kind of thing. You know, it, when, you invest in, when you invest your faith in what God's doing, you'll see that your faith grows so that some of the things that you struggled with in the past weren't such a big struggle. And you'll see that um, the faith of the people around you hopefully grows too. It's scary today to me to see how many Christians let salvation end with the I believe and I confess part of it. Um, we, we got really comfortable with if you believe with your mouth or if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. That's, that's Romans 10. Um, if and a lot of us leave it there. But something that, I don't know, I kind of thought about just recently was that when Paul wrote that, the whole confessing with your mouth part, that was taking a big risk. People were going to jail for confessing with their mouth. People were dying for confessing with their mouth. So this whole 
this whole idea that somehow we don't have to take risks because I can believe with my heart and confess with my mouth, you know, that's, that's not really what I think Paul's saying. Now, I agree, there's grace, you know, there's, um, there's grace for the times we miss it, and we all miss it quite a bit, but um, we need to be growing and moving past that. There's more to following Christ than just believing things about him. There's more to following Christ than just a mental picture in your head. So we want to we know what the difference looks like. What, is, what does it look like to really invest your faith and grow your faith? So um, the first thing, just a side note about the, the talent. Um, this amount of gold that a guy was trusted with, just one bag, was like 20 years worth of wages for a day laborer back then. So, I mean, we're not talking about a little bit of money. God has given us a great treasure. Even the, even the guy he gave the least to, it was a great treasure. The first two servants put their faith to work. They were actively involved in it. They didn't just phone it in. They didn't just go through the motions. But they put their faith to work. It's not like they gave the gold to a broker and the broker did all the stuff. Because Jesus said, you know, hey, you could have, to the wicked servant, said, hey, you could have gave it to the banker. And the banker could have taken care of you. That would have been better than what you did. But that's not what the other two guys did. The other two guys actively were investing. He was gone for a long time. See, and, and sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes we feel distant from God. You know, we feel like God's been gone a long time from where we're at. Um, but, and we can lose sight of, we can lose sight of the goal, but we know he's coming back and we have to have, we have to have faith that he's coming back and that there will be a day where we're rewarded for what we've got, for what we've done. And you know what else? I imagine that some of their investments, when they were going out and doubling this money, some of their investments probably didn't work out. Sometimes they took a risk with this, a piece of this bag of gold, and it didn't pan out. Maybe they got nothing back out of it. But they kept trying. They kept at it. They stuck to it. So there was a tenacity about them. Now let's talk about the wicked servant. What held him back? Fear. He was fearful. Now I'm a youth pastor, so I have to quote a rapper in my sermon. Andy Minio. Fear kills more dreams than failure. That's true, isn't it? We, so many times, we get stopped at the point of should I or could I? And we never make it to the point of, I tried, or at least I tried. You know, Alexander Venter says, unbelief is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is fear, right? So that's what, that's what we're working with. Your fear is directly opposed to your faith. If you want to know what the health of your faith looks like, Look at your heart. That's a good place to start. But look at your behavior, too. Look at what you do. Look at how you respond to the call to pray for somebody. Look at how you respond to the call to take a risk for God. 
and and just be honest with yourself about where you're at. So like I said, you, you know, hopefully you can see yourself in this story. I know I've been both. I've been on both ends of the spectrum. Um, it's really not a spectrum. It's really an either or. But I mean, I've been the, you know, I've been the wicked lazy servant. I think for a lot of us, for me, it was late in high school, college years. You know, apathy. Um, apathy leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to failure. Um, in some ways, addiction. And then addiction leads to pain. The pain leads to the death of your faith in a lot of ways because that distance from God is now a big distance. You've put so many things between you and God that it's hard to believe he's even out there. And, you know, in my case, it took a severe physical wake-up call um, for me to turn that around. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember last week, Bill shared the testimony of a young vineyard pastor who had hit his head on a drunken night. Well, I've still got a scar where there's staples. Very similar situation. Um, and you might even be able to see it when I cut my hair short. Uh, so I let my life get to that point through, through neglect of what God entrusted me with to where... I had to be shaken awake to start investing my faith again. I never stopped believing in my mind and believing in my heart that God was God and Jesus was my Savior. That never went away. What went away was living it out. If you would have asked my friends during that time of my life, is Nathan a Christian? They probably wouldn't be able to tell you. Some of them maybe, but most of them would have been like, I don't know. They don't act like one. Just like the guy in the parable with the bag of gold. How many people knew he had a bag of gold? It was buried in a field somewhere, far away from where he was. Nobody, right? Nobody knew he was doing anything with that money. The other two servants, it'd be kind of hard to miss. They're always taking it from one place to another, doing something with it. Let's move on to James chapter 2. We'll talk about what it looks like to invest your faith. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, one God. good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So, I, you know, this, I keep going back to this scripture a lot when I'm, 
when I'm studying and trying to learn about God because there's a mystery here. You don't need actions to get to heaven, but actions will complete your faith. And we're still working through that mystery. Um, but there's an element of maturity to the person that lets their actions and their faith work together. There's also an element of crazy. Can we just say that? I mean, look at Abraham. God told me to kill my son. What's up? I got to go do this. Can you imagine having that conversation with your wife? I, I can't imagine having that conversation with my wife. I mean, she's invested everything she's got in those two boys. Well, I said, hey, I'm going to take Wyatt and go put him on an altar, have dinner ready when I get back. Come on. You're nuts. I might not survive the day. She'll take me and put me on an altar. I don't know if you met my wife. She could do it. <laughs> now, she's got me turned on in there. She, she, might, she might come out here and whoop me. Anyways. There's always going to be that. There's always going to be you needing faith to get over the crazy things that God has called you to do. There's going to be... I mean, you know, for a lot of teenagers, it's crazy to live out just being obedient to the Word of God, let alone praying for somebody for their healing. For a lot of, for a lot of our teenagers, it's insane. Why would, you, why would you miss out on all the fun? Why would you miss out on the party? That, that seems crazy to most, to most young people today. It seemed crazy to me when I was that age. You know, almost as crazy as doing some of the stuff that people did in the Bible. So, so why would you miss out? Because you have faith that what God says that you need to do is what you need to be doing and that it's going to be worth it. And it may seem crazy, but in the end, it'll be worth it. In the end, you'll hear that well done and faithful, well done, faithful servant. So, so the crazy stuff, we let, we let God deal with our non-crazy stuff, and we have faith for the non-crazy stuff. We have faith for the living a holy life, and a lot, of, a lot of Christians like that, that's the end goal of Christianity is, man, can I be holy? It's like, if I'm holy, I've made it. If I've got enough faith to where my actions show me as checking off the rules, then I'm doing everything I need to do, Right? And that, and that has led to this inward-only Christianity where the lost are still lost. And there's still people hurting and that haven't heard about, heard about Jesus because we've only got enough faith to deal with our own stuff, deal with our own mess. And we, we, can, we can just keep up with cleaning up after ourselves. We're not investing our faith and growing it and seeing what God will, what fruit God will bear with it. Um, so let's keep going a little bit further and see what else I got up there. All right, so what does it look like to invest in your faith? What does it look like to neglect your faith? So somebody who's going to invest will spend time with God. Somebody who's neglecting their faith is too busy. Somebody who's investing their faith lives as an example of Jesus. Somebody who's neglecting their faith blends in with the world around them. 
Somebody who's investing in their faith takes risk and does the crazy stuff. Somebody who's neglecting their faith ignores that voice. It was probably the pizza. Somebody who's investing in their faith turns their focus on God and those around them. Somebody who's neglecting their faith turns their focus on themselves. That's, that's in a nutshell. That's what it looks like. So what if we say yes to this idea of investing our faith in what we do? What, what is that going to lead to? Well, i got some thoughts on that. We'll see. We'll see if I'm right. So it starts at salvation. God gives you the faith to believe you need a Savior. You act on that faith. You make him your Savior. God gives you the faith to reject, reject your wrong ideas of how to live your life and adopt his ideas of how to live your life. People start to see the change in you, and they wonder, what's up? You start to set an example for your friends and neighbors. You start to see God bear fruit through you already. At work, you feel this, uh, in your belly. Hey, you know this conversation about football? You can make it about Jesus. You do that. As crazy as that sounds... And a curious co-worker comes to know Christ that day. Now you've seen God's Spirit work in someone else's heart. Let's say you go out in this next year and you pray for 20 people. Two of them get healed. You've seen God heal two people. You take risk when God calls you to do something for the church, something that puts you on the spot. God uses a word of knowledge or some other type of ministry to, to touch somebody else's life. You start to live your life for other people because you, you don't want to stumble because you don't want to let a child of God stumble. You know, the Bible says it, it's a bad day for the guy that lets a child of God stumble. You pray for people when you get the chance because you know it works. You've gotten close enough to God that you know he's out there. It goes from believing to knowing. You've seen enough of his compassion to know he loves you. You've seen enough of his power to not be phased by your circumstances. You know he's in control. So the bottom line of this, faith in God grows through acting. Because when we step out in faith, that's where we see God at work at the edge of our actions, at the edge of the crazy stuff. That's where we get to really meet God. And I think that's something we all want. We all want to see God. We all want to really get to know God. I hope, I hope we do. I hope that's a goal in your mind. Some of us might say, God, I want to see you. Why can't I experience you more? I need another God experience. I need another knock me out in the Holy Spirit. I need another miracle. I need another word. Have you got a word for me? Give me a word. And, and while God experiences are great and, and they have their, they definitely have their purpose and, and are a big part of what we do in the vineyard, they, they are not God. The experience is, is not a substitute for 
knowing him. And we could get all, we could get experiences till we're blue in the face, blue in the face, blue in the face, blue in the face. And that may not be enough for some of us. Somebody might, somebody asked, well, why doesn't God just part the Pacific Ocean every Thursday? <laughs> well, why not? He's God. He can do it. And if he did, wouldn't there be a whole bunch of people that believe that God was God? I mean, what if God parted the Pacific Ocean every Thursday and said, I'm God doing this with a big, loud voice while he was doing it? All of California would turn. Well, okay, God's, I mean, God's God, and I have no excuse for not believing. Or they might blame it on global warming. And there's people out there that will find any excuse not to believe the truth, right? And you can't let those people turn you from what you know to be true. But why doesn't he do that? Why, why doesn't he do that? What would that do to, to what he's, the faith he's trusted you with? Would it make it useless? Would it, would it take you from being a child of God to a slave? See, God gives us an experience of him, but he's not going to overwhelm us and drag us to the cross. God's not going to drag us into relationship. God is love. And through his love, he gives us the opportunity for relationship. And he gives us the faith we need to have that relationship but what we do with it is up to us. There's another way we can invest our faith besides just our actions. Also in James, James talks a lot about faith. This is in James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. Keep on getting off track of my Bible verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what I get out of this is that you can look at these trials as a bad thing. You can look at your circumstances as just the pain they, the, the pain they leave, with, leave you with. Or you can try to see your trials how God sees your trials. You can try to change your perception to, to have God's eyes. You can try to change your outlook to be like that of God. And in that, you'll see that this testing of my faith is producing good stuff in me. So even though it hurts, even though these circumstances are not ideal, I'm growing, I'm learning. And you, and you start to See the big picture. Invest in the big picture. When you have your eyes focused on God and you, and you change your perception to be looking at the big picture, your circumstances turn into details. They turn into the little things. You also will see other people's circumstances. When you start to look at people, how God sees people, you start to see the big picture of how God is working in their life and the brokenness they face and the harsh times they fell on. And maybe things aren't all that hard for you. Maybe you need to reach out and have compassion. Be careful because that feeling of compassion, that'll lead to action. And that's, you know, that's what some of us try to avoid. So in the end, James leads to another crazy point, you know. Now, now you're not taking crazy action. Now you're seeing crazy things. And you have this outlook of joy in your trials. 
considering it pure joy when you face these trials. That's another crazy way of living. That's what God's called us to. That's how God's called us to grow our faith. And I think of God walking on the water, or Jesus walking on the water during that storm. Everybody else is kind of freaking out. And uh, Jesus out for a stroll. Like, it's no big deal, you know. You know, your coach used to tell you when you get in the end zone, act like you've been there before. You ever heard that? You know, you got these guys in the NFL that do these big dances now. Jesus is walking on water like it's nothing. And so is Peter for a minute because Peter's, Peter's got his focus on Jesus. Peter's got his focus on God. He's got his focus on the purpose that God has for him. When his focus gets, when his focus strays and he sees the wind, he sees the circumstances, that's when he falls and he needs God's help. And God's there to help us. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you make him, it's not like you trip up and that's the end. But it's a much more awesome life. It's a much more joy-filled life having been on both sides of that coin when you keep your focus on God and you're walking in walking in his purpose. You know God does things on purpose? Do people, I mean, like, do you ever think about that when you think about your circumstances and the way you're living and, and, and what's going on in your life? Do you ever think about how, you know, God does things on purpose? God's not a random God. He's not a random number generator. He doesn't just, like, cast some dice and say, oh, snake eyes, sucks to be you. You know, I mean, it, God does things on purpose. You're, you're at where you need to be to grow how you need to grow. If you'll choose to take joy in the trials and try to see the big picture. So I want to finish this up. I want this to be a message of encouragement. I want this to be encouraging y'all to do the next crazy thing that God puts in your mind and see, see your world in a crazy kind of way. Um, there's more to your faith than just reading and believing. There's, there's an active element to your faith. There's what you do and how it affects the people around you and how it affects yourself. So, your faith is a gift from God. You can invest it and it'll grow. You can, you can neglect it and you'll lose even what you got. You can grow the faith you have by your actions. You can grow the faith you have by the way you see things. I'm going to let Melinda do the ministry time. Real fast, I'm just going to say, if you've got, don't let fear keep you in your seat if there's something you need from God today.